Shaloma. You're listening to Watered Womanhood, the podcast for women walking in the truth of who Yahuwah the Most High says we are, where we uncover what it means to be His bride. I'm Rabbi Shah Aloha Lani, founder of the Hebrew Housewife, a set-apart homemaking block for the daughters of Israel. I've been studying the Word all my life and ministering to Israelite sisters since 2019 by the grace of Abinawa with original homemaking tips, biblical marital advisory, and truth-based devotionals. Join me in building up the kingdom at Watered Womanhood on Instagram, thehebrewhousewife.com, and right here as we fellowship in spirit and in truth. Hey girl, hey, hey girl, hey girl, hey. It's been a whole year since the Watered Womanhood podcast commenced. Yes. I don't even know how to feel right now. Um, glory to the most high. Thank you, thank you, thank you, every single one of you. Thank you, dear listener, listening right now. I appreciate you for joining me on this journey. I thank the most high Sabaoth for your fellowship and for your support and your feedback and just the joy that has come into my life from doing this and, you know, just allowing the most high to use me as a mouthpiece and Oh gosh, I really really wasn't even planning on mentioning this, but you know, I have been in, you know, you probably noticed I haven't really been updating things much. I think my last episode was like what, 2 months ago, and for that I'm I'm deeply sorry. I'm very apologetic. Thank you for your forgiveness in advance. I've just I don't know. It's something that has hit me. Um I'm really in a waiting season you know, waiting for the most high to move, to give me wisdom, to give me clarity. And I've honestly been a little bit frustrated and discouraged because I began to see some of my talking points or content be regurgitated, sometimes word for word, you know, outright plagiarism by, you know, certain groups or people on Instagram. And, you know, I normally don't take offense because, you know, it is what it is. I don't own anything. Um, Yeah, like I don't profess to own ideas or messages or whatever, because at the end of the day, I just say whatever the most high wants me to say. But, you know, to some degree, it still hurts, you know, it still stings to just be like, oh, well, (laughs) I'm pretty sure I said that like six months ago. And I know you saw it, but it's okay. It's all right. You know, it just has made me a little bit hesitant. So I did want to share with you, if you didn't already know, I've made a major migration um, from Instagram to Facebook groups. I'm not really a big Facebook user because they're like the epitome of everything that is wrong with the government. Like I've had to sum up all globalist governments across the world I would just use Facebook as the prime example of why governments are just defunct. Like, we, girl, we need something new. We need something fresh. But Facebook is free. The group's features are free. It's secure amongst us, obviously. It's private and it's simple. Most of you already know how to navigate it. Our group is called the Hebrew Housewives Club. It's free to join. 
just simply make a request and I can get you in ASAP. We talk about all things homemaking, marriage, motherhood, and femininity. This week we discussed or are discussing marital fidelity, adultery, and faithfulness. And the discussions have just been so, so, so fruitful. Thank you for every single sister who has joined. I feel a little bit more free there. Um, And there's a lot more space for long form comments and copy. And I feel like it's definitely a space where we can slow down more. And I think having that privacy wall up definitely facilitates a lot more vulnerability and transparency. And that is exactly what I've been looking for. It's what I've been praying for. And I'm so thankful, you know, because girl, I was this close. Okay. You can't see my fingers, but they're really close together right now. I was this close to starting an app. I was actually going to create an app. Can you believe that? I know, right? Anyways, Thank you, sister, so much. It's been a whole freaking year, man. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't wrap my mind around it. <sighs> September makes a whole year since the Water Womanhood podcast has been on the airwaves. And wow, you know, it's actually just hitting me just now. <laughs> if you're listening to this, thank you so much. I love you. And I extend my heart to you and um, I welcome you on this journey. I welcome you to go on another crazy year with me Um, and we will continue to build this beautiful city on the hills and, you know, embody what it means to be the bride of Yahuwah. Hallelujah. So today's episode is So He Sent a Woman. So He Sent a Woman. This concept comes from the secondariness of women that is kind of found in the scripture. You know, what I see from um, modern feminism, and really not even modern feminism, but all ages of feminism, is that, you know, there's a protest from women against men being the default human being. Um, for example, why is humanity called humanity? <laughs> why is it man? You know, why is, why can't we just be people? Why can't we just be society, you know? Or why does the terminology that we use to refer to our own anatomy have to be female? Why couldn't we have a completely different, you know, term? If the, you know, term for men is male, why couldn't we be something completely original? Or um, I think just in general, how when we see something that does not have an obvious sex, like a wild animal, for example, a lot of times we're quick to, I guess, identify it as a male or refer to it as he, you know, the objection is why assume, you know, females exist. Why wouldn't you assume that it's a female? And, you know, to some degree, there are some things about feminism that while I don't endorse, I definitely do understand. Um, but I also think that feminism is extremely dangerous, especially for us, you know, (laughs) historically and modernly it's, it's not for us. Um, but I get it. I understand. And, you know, we cannot skate around the fact that 
the Bible is for the most part patriarchal, um, but it's holy, you know, and the Bible has been used time and time again for other people to justify um, sex-based oppression and things like that. Um, and so I want to have a very transparent and clear conversation with you about that. I don't want to sugarcoat things. I don't want to be that sister that's like, oh, it's not really like that when it is. You know, at the end of the day, the Most High has set a perfect order that protects us as women. And when we are filling ourselves and when we are listening to the world and when we don't really know the Most High's will, his plan and his order feels oppressive. Um, and moreover, that doesn't negate the fact that, yes, men can be oppressive. Men can absolutely um, abuse the power that the Most High has given them. We see it every day, whether it's in our own personal lives, in our close, um, you know, family, relatives, and friends, or also, you know, seeing it on the other side of the world sometimes, or on the other side of the country where, you know, the femicide rate is extremely high, rape is extremely high, excuse me, and, you know, I guess women aren't allowed to drive or to vote or to participate, you know, in society. The idea that human beings in general will absolutely take advantage of their power if they get power is universal. Um, it's a fact and it's not exclusive to gender. But I think because of the time that we're living in, so many people, namely women, are very eager and feel as though they must cling to an identity, um, to a movement, to a community in order to feel important. And I blame that on Gen Z. Listen, and if you're Gen Z, don't get mad because I'm Gen Z too, okay? I blame that on us. It's our fault. We have to stop making our identity about our beliefs, our cliques, our skin, our hair, whatever, religion, your political party. At the end of the day, who are you going to serve? You know, who's your Lord? Are you the bride of Yahuwah? Like when, when those gates open up, are, is he going to open his arms and welcome you in? Like that's really the bottom line. However, that not, you know, notwithstanding all that said, so he sent a woman. There's a conversation about who is sending women because women are going to get sent, sis. You're going to get sent. You have been created with, oh, so much purpose. You don't even know. You have been gifted with so much virtue, so much strength, so much wisdom. You are literally a portal for the Most High to enter at any given time. And that's why he chose you to be the help me. He gave men a divine purpose to rule and to reign, to have dominion over this realm. <laughs> and he chose you as the perfect helper, as the one who comes in and says, I see where you're doing. This is how we can improve. This is how we can make it better. This is how we can elevate. This is how we can have our Aliyah, which is Hebrew for ascension. 
Now, that being said, what we see in the scripture is that Hashatan can also send women. We've seen what women can do when it is not the Most High who is sending her. She destroys things. She has a malicious heart and malicious intentions. She causes adulteries and discords and dissensions, even wars, slaughterings, murder. So I want to take the time to draw a comparison between two very different um, um, occurrences, if you will, in the scripture where one woman was clearly sent by the Most High and the other was clearly sent by Hashatan. And we're going to discuss how we can differentiate between who is sending us when we get a download, when we get instructions, when we start hearing a voice in our head instructing us to move or instructing us to do something or to believe something. How can we know where we're going and who is taking us there? So the first example of a woman clearly being sent by the Most High is going to come from 2 Samuel chapter 14. I'm reading from the King James Version if you'd like to follow along. And I'm going to start at verse 1. Now, this is all happening um, right after um, one of King David's sons raped one of King David's daughters and the brother of that daughter, you know, got revenge by slaying that man. And, you know, customary wise, if that happens, you would definitely put that person to death, as is the law you know, because vengeance is the most highs. Um, But this is the response of David's trustee, you know, one of his wise men, one of his right-hand men. This is what he decided to do. 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. Now Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was toward Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa and fetched thence a wise woman and said unto her, I pray thee, feign thyself to be a mourner and put on now mourning apparel and anoint not thyself with oil, but be as a woman that had a long time mourned for the dead and come to the king and speak on this manner unto him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. And when the woman of Tekoa spake to the king, King David, excuse me, she fell on her face to the ground and did obeisance and said, help, O king. And the king said unto her, what aileth thee? And she answered, I am indeed a widow woman and mine husband is dead. And thy handmaid had two sons, and they strove together in the field, and there was none to part them, but the one smote the other and slew him. And behold, the whole family is risen against thine handmaid. And they said, 
Deliver him that smote his brother, that we may kill him for the life of his brother whom he slew, and we will destroy the air also. And so they shall quench my coal which is left in the earth, and shall not leave to my husband neither name nor reminder upon the earth. And the king said unto the woman, Go to thine house, and I will charge concerning thee. And the woman of Tekoa said unto the king, My lord, O king, the iniquity be on me, on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. And the king said, Whoever saith aught unto thee, bring him to me, and he shall not touch thee any more. Verse 11. Then she said, I pray thee, let the king remember Yahuwah Elohaika that thou wouldst not suffer the revengers of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he said, As Yahuwah liveth, there shall not one hair of thy son fall to the earth. Then the woman said, Let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak one word unto my lord the king. And he said, Say on. And the woman said, Wherefore then hast thou thought such a thing against the people of God? For the king doth speak this thing as one which is faulty, and that the king doth not fetch home against his banished. For we must needs die, and are as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Neither doth God respect any person, yet doth he devise means, that his banished be not expelled from him. Now, therefore, that I am come to speak of this thing unto my lord, the king, it is because the people have made me afraid. And thy handmaid said, I will now speak unto the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his handmaid. For the king will hear to deliver his handmaid out of the hand of the man that would destroy me and my son together out of the inheritance of God. Then thine handmaid said, the word of my Lord the King shall now be comfortable, for as an angel of God, so is my Lord the King to discern good and bad. Therefore, Yahuwah Elohaika will be with thee. Then the king answered and said unto the woman, Hide not from me, I pray thee, the thing that I shall ask thee. And the woman said, Let my Lord the King now speak. And the king said, is not the hand of Joab with thee in this? And the woman answered and said, As thy soul liveth, my lord the king, none can turn to the right hand or to the left from aught that my lord the king hath spoken. For thy servant Joab, he bade me, and he put all these words in the mouth of thine handmaid. To fetch about this form of speech hath thy servant Joab done this thing. And my Lord is wise, according to the wisdom of an angel of God, to know all things that are in the earth. And the king said unto Joab, Behold, now I have done this thing. Go, therefore, bring the young men Absalom again. And Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today thy servant knoweth that I have found grace in thy sight, my lord, O king, and that the king hath fulfilled the request of his 
servant. Now, what did we just read? What did we actually just read? As I said, this is happening directly after um, King David's son, Absalom, avenges the rape of his sister Tamar by killing her rapist, who also happened to be one of the sons that King David had with another woman. So they were only half brothers. And, you know, of course, King David is in pursuit. You know, no matter who it is, you killed my son, obviously. I want to apprehend you. I need to get my hands on you. You know, <laughs> you're a threat. You know, you're a menace to society. I need you. And again, Joab, one of his right-hand men, could not speak to reason to the king um, because who can quench the anger and the vengeance of a man whose son has been murdered, you know, in cold blood? So he sent a woman. Let that sink in. So he sent a woman. That is so powerful. The Most High has gifted us women a supernatural essence that can be extremely dangerous, but it can be extremely fruitful. And I believe, you know, as we come into the truth, we have this tendency to try to, you know, strip ourselves of the beauty and the femininity and the grace that makes us set apart from men, thinking that those things are worldly. Just because we read the verse in Proverbs 31 that says, you know, beauty fades and charm is deceitful, you know, those things are true, but they are still a gift. And while we have beauty it can be fruitful for the kingdom and 2 Samuel chapter 14 is clear evidence of this. So here's a few things to note. First, a man of God fetched thence a wise woman and he gave her clear instructions. He said, I pray thee, Feign thyself to be a mourner, right? Make yourself out to be a mourner. I know that's not who you are, but I really need this. I need this from you. This is dire. This is a matter of the entire kingdom of Judah. Please put some ashes on, wear your torn raiment. You know, he says your mourning apparel, right? The clothes that you would wear to mourn the dead or any other devastating event. And don't anoint yourself with oil right? Don't moisturize. Don't look good. Don't look put together, right? But be as a woman that has been mourning a long time for the dead and then go to King David and speak these words to him so that he might understand how dire this is and how he must act in wisdom in this situation. Now, some may read this chapter and speculate that he ordered her to lie. Now, I do want to say 
um, that I can't speculate on that. I don't feel qualified to say whether or not that's true. He definitely did say, feign thyself to be a mourner. So he instructed her to pretend to be something that she's not. And, you know, what if that caused her to sin? You know, what if that caused her to break the commandments? What if that had brought an ill upon her? This is a very important point. And reason being is that when the Most High sends you, even if he has sent you to deceive, he will protect you. And the truth of the matter is that it's never really a deception. It's a message. And the Most High sent this woman to speak unto King David. And because it was Yah, no ill had fallen upon this woman. And we know King David to be a man of war and a man of blood. And if he had wanted to, he would have become wroth and he would have slain the woman for coming unto him and arousing his anger and arousing his vengeance only to turn around and, you know, say, you know, I lied. <laughs> These are the words of your servant, Joab. Um, yeah, you know, I'm just a messenger. No, the Most High kept her and protected her. The word says, if we look to him in all our ways, he will direct our paths. And a part of his direction is his provision and his protection. And he guided her. He protected her. She escaped this situation without harm to a single hair on her body, according to the scripture. So we know as a woman, when you are sent with a message or with instructions to carry out an act, the most high safety is with you. No danger comes upon you. No harm comes upon you. So when you question whether, you know, the most high is the one sending you, that the Holy Spirit is what's speaking to you and, and giving you instructions, um, a telltale would be, you know, is it hurting me? Is it bringing me pain? Does this threaten my life? Does this really put me in danger? Is this going to make me sick? Is this going to hurt other people? The book of Romans um, chapter 12 says that the Most High's will is good, that his will is pleasing, and that his will is perfect. And we may not always understand what that means in the moment when he's sharing his will with us that he wants us to carry out. But that doesn't negate the truth that his will is still good and pleasing and perfect. And the outcome of obeying him is good, pleasing and perfect things. And that is exactly what, you know, became of this situation. And that leads us to the second point, examining if I follow through with this, if I execute on this, if I do this or if I say this. Will it amount to something that's good and pleasing and perfect? Because of this woman's obedience to Joab, Absalom's life was spared in that moment. And another one of David's heirs lived to see another day. And we know that because of David's sin against Uriah, the Most High poured his wrath out on David's children. 
But to have that moment of clarity was pure mercy from the Most High because he didn't even realize in the moment that, yes, the Most High said that he will pour his wrath on your children because of your sin, that you would have been the one executing that wrath because of the way wrath clouds our judgment. And it really conceals our mind. It's like a sealant that, you know, blocks out all of the water of life. <laughs> it really does. And I just think that's so profound that the Most High sent a woman to illustrate this. And, you know, that leads us to the third point. When the Most High sends you, he's going to prepare you. He's going to give you the words. He's going to give you the utensils. He's going to give you um, the map. He's going to give you the resources. He's going to prepare you. He's not going to send you into total and utter darkness without the things that you need. That's just a fact. Even when he delivered us from Egypt, we didn't just leave bucket naked. <laughs> you know, we didn't just leave empty handed and barefooted. He said, we took everything. We took the riches. We took the gold. We took the things that we created in our own slavery. Then we went into the wilderness. When the Most High sends a woman, he prepares her. And those of you that know me know I love the book of Judith, right? Judith is a perfect example of this as well. I won't go too much into it. Um, maybe for another episode, I highly recommend that you read the book of Judith in the Apocalypse. Apocrypha, girl, please. The Apocrypha, not me about to say Apocalypto. Anyway, in the Apocrypha, um, it's very profound. It's happening during the time where I believe Nebuchadnezzar um, has really made some strides conquering the area, um, most of that geographical location. And he gets to the kingdom of Israel, right? And they have a gated town at the time. And, you know, he's like, yeah, I want to take this over. And then his right-hand man, you know, the army, the general of the army is like, mm, not going to happen. These are the children of Israel. They got the most high God on their side. Let's just, you know, um, skip this one and then we can come back because if we mess with them, we're going to get destroyed just like all their other enemies. So yeah, let's keep it pushing. And then Nebuchadnezzar is just like, mm, I don't know. That don't sound too good to me. I love a good challenge. Who do these people think they are? I want to get to them. <laughs> They're going to be mine. And so they devise a scheme to strip Israel of their resources, right? If we can't beat them with warfare, if we can't outsmart them, if we don't have a God or defense as strong as their God or defense, let's just weaken them. Let's reduce them back to their most primitive, animalistic state of being where they are hungry and thirsty and so hungry and thirsty that they can't even focus anymore. They don't even have their guard up, right? So they decide to cut off their water supply. And when you don't have water, you can't feed your crops, right? The crops aren't getting water, the grass, the plants, the things that feed your flocks. And if you're not feeding your flocks, you're not eating. And also those flocks produce 
manure. So that manure also feeds the flocks. So now the flocks are dying even faster. I mean, the crops are dying even faster because your flocks are dying. Now you have nothing to eat, nothing to drink. You're hungry. You're starving. People are dying. The smell of death is swelling in the city in the summer sun. And your enemies are surrounding you. So now you're hungry, you're thirsty, and you're incredibly afraid. And there were dissensions, there were thievings, there were murders. Because now people are in a state of survival. They cannot even focus on the task at hand. Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound very, very familiar? Hmm. Judith perceived how the people were going to destroy themselves. Nebuchadnezzar didn't even need to walk into the city or shoot a single arrow. The people were doing it to themselves because of their hunger and their thirst. And she rent her raiment and she destroyed her garments and she wept and she fasted and she prayed. And the Most High gave her very clear instructions and he prepared her. She rose up. She put on her beautiful, beautiful garments. She put on her gems. She put on her perfumes. And she left, right? Because she was still a wealthy woman um, in the city during that time. And she went to go meet the general at the gate. And, you know, said that, oh, we want to make um, uh, an alliance with you. You know, we want to have peace with you. We can join forces. There's no need for warfare. You know, the people are already going through a lot. We're ready to concede. And the general's like, all right, cool. That sounds good. Let's go eat. We're going to go celebrate. Let's have a feast. <laughs> and she went. And the man got drunk and invited her to his tent. And she went. And while she was there, and he passed out in his drunkenness, she cut his head off. And she brought it back with her to the city. And the, their enemies, the enemies of Israel, were sore afraid. They retreated. And Israel was not conquered by them during that time. The Most High sent that woman. And I know a lot of historians, quote unquote historians and theologians, whatever, like to speculate, you know, whether it was ethical, whether it was really the Most High. And it's just like, it's funny because men in the Bible have done similar things. And because we have not been exposed to the Apocrypha all of our lives, we get to the book of Judith and we see a woman doing it, you know, and it's like, oh, oh, my gosh. You know, warfare is warfare. Um, personally, I believe that, you know, traditionally and ideally, <laughs> you know, it's not safe for women to go to war. However, the scripture is very clear. If there is a scenario in which a woman should have to go to warfare it should be through her femininity and her beauty and the way that she carries herself and the way that she can be used by the Most High to redeem her people, to protect her people, not by putting on a man's garment, but by wearing a woman's garment, wearing her beauty, wearing her charm, because it can be a weapon, a fruitful weapon.
And if you are being sent by the Most High, no harm shall fall upon you. Now, you know, just knowing these things about the word and the way that the Most High uses the beauty of women for his glory um, and for for sanctified and holy purposes, it really defies what feminism and the world claims the Bible um, does to women that, you know, the word subjects women and objectifies women and, you know, suppresses women's voices and claims that women's beauty is evil and that, you know, women need to be covered. Women need to be seen and not heard. And, you know, a woman's only good places in the home. When we read the scripture, we see something completely different. And in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter three, our most wise, the wisest and the richest man who ever walked upon this earth makes it very clear for us to understand. Listen, girl, there's a time and a place for everything under the sun. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to rejoice. There's a time to wear ashes and there's a time to wear oils. And as a woman, having that discernment of the time can really help you and guide you as you seek to embody um, a totally biblically feminine woman, right? Total biblical womanhood and the essence of that because it's not just being girly or high maintenance. Being feminine is about the total embodiment of the divine feminine, the original plan and the intent for the female when he created her in Eve. When she first was manifest from Adam's rib. And that doesn't just mean cooking and cleaning and child rearing. Although that is a huge part of it. It's so much deeper though. And I hope that as, you know, the world continues to progress um, and these days ahead get, you know, a little more crazy because we know obviously things are going to get crazy, that you learn um, to be able to discern when you're being sent by him and being willing to open your heart to that and not being discouraged by the world, you know, and knowing that he can send you to do anything and you just got to be able to discern when it's him and you got to be willing to say, yes, Lord, yes, Abba, Yes, Yahuwah, I will go, I will do it, I will say it, I will follow you, and I know you're going to prepare me. I know you're going to give me the words. I know you're going to protect me. And I know you're going to make this seamless. Funny story. When I was preparing to move um, here to Virginia with my husband, Girl, listen, listen, listen. We didn't have the money. I ain't gonna lie, girl. We didn't have the money. <laughs> we didn't know where the money was gonna come from, child. We didn't know where we was gonna stay. We didn't think our credit was good enough for us to actually live in the area that we wanted to live so that we wouldn't be, you know, in the middle of all the crime and the poverty. And we were just like, oh, Father, listen, we don't know what you're gonna do, but we know that you're calling us. We know that this is what you're doing. 
and we're just going to have to trust you. And I've said this on my blog before, I believe. (sighs) The home that we're living in right now, it is the only home that we had to apply to. The most I told me this was our home before we even came to look at it. I saw it online. He said, that's it. I said, you sure? He said, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm the God of Israel. I'm pretty sure. And I said, okay. I told my husband, I don't think my husband really believed it until he came to view it himself. And the most high spoke to him. And I think about that often you know, as I previously mentioned, that we're in a waiting period. I think about that often. I do remind my husband, you know, ah, babe, you remember that time when we didn't know what we were going to do? And I prayed for the most high to give us instruction. And then he showed me and then I showed you. Yeah. So don't be thinking, you know, I'm just saying stuff. I'm just pulling it out of my butt because I'm not, (laughs) you know, it's the most high. It's not me. And I think my husband has been clearly able to see, you know, and because of, you know, where we are in the development of this walk and this faith as a people and this drastic need for change and to revert from um, a matriarchal community back to the Most High's original holy order, there has definitely been an overhaul, like just an extreme overcompensation, right? We have seen our brothers become extremely oppressive and they can sometimes be very weary of listening to even their own wives. And, you know, when we look in the scripture, this is just not so, you know, so we have to be patient with our brothers and our husbands who, you know, may obviously be weary of quote unquote, listening to a woman and hearing what a woman has to say. But again, when you wear a woman's garment, when you say what you're supposed to say, you, you open ears, people hear you, people let their spiritual guard down. That is your power. And when it's the most high sending you with that message or with that, you know, whatever instructions that you're supposed to carry out, People get to witness him so divinely in a way that you just don't even comprehend, a way that you won't, you won't understand because it's beyond you. Again, you're a vessel, you're a portal for the most high. I'm really grateful for the way that the most high um, has been cultivating me in this because it has been something that I've struggled with as a wife. I have definitely been on the more hesitant side to communicate to my husband when I feel as though it's the most high giving me something to say, because I've often just felt like, you know, I don't want to argue. I don't want to sit here and have to tell this man that, (laughs) you know, this ain't my idea. This is just something I'm being told to say by the most high. And it's a level of fear um, that honestly, we as women have to overcome. It's something that I'm working to overcome, you know, just the, the accusation, you know, and you all know what I mean. Um, we have all heard and seen the depictions of ancient femininity and beauty as evil and demonic, um, women being referred to as virago, women being demons And, you know, to some degree, listen, there are some just demonic women out there. Like, we just got to keep it real. To some degree, it's true. For some women, it's true. 
But that doesn't mean that beauty itself is the issue. It doesn't mean that femininity itself is the issue. It's something that we need. Otherwise, the Most High would not have created it. There's something truly divine about the feminine essence, and it did not exist completely in Adam. Now, notice I didn't say it didn't exist. I said completely. It needed to be fully manifest. And therefore, Yahuwah sent a woman, a perfect helpmeet. And one of our easiest, and maybe not easiest, but one of the best ways that we can be a perfect helpmeet is to make sure that we're being sent only by Yahuwah daily as we set out to homemake, as we set out to be help helpers, you know, to be mothers, um, to be members of the community and to be lights in the world, making sure our words are coming from him, our thoughts, where we're placing our eyes, where our desires lie. Are they coming from Yahuwah? Now, conversely, there can be an extremely dark side to the way women wield their beauty and the power that we carry, right? The soft power and the influence um, that the Most High has blessed us with, the, the power and the, the influence um, with which we've been composed. You know, it's in our genetic makeup. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 14, again in the King James Version, if you'd like to follow along. And I'm just going to start at verse 1. At that time, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. And therefore, mighty works do shew forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And they would have put him to death. He feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. Verse 6. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Whereupon he promised with a note to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she the daughter, being before instructed of her mother, Herodias, said, Give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and for them which sat with him at the meat, he commanded it to be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in the prison. And his head was brought in a charger, and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus or Yahusha. Now, I think I remember <laughs> reading this a few years ago and just thinking, oh my God, that's how John the Baptist died? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I didn't read the Bible enough as a child, but I read this and I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure that man died of old age. No, this man had his head cut off so that a, another man could sleep with his 
brother's wife. And, you know, unfortunately, a young lady got caught in the crosshairs of this, this wickedness. A young daughter was forced to use her beauty to deceive and to bring about the death of John. And, you know, looking at this, it's really difficult to conceive that these two, um, Herodias and Herod, didn't conspire. And I refer to him as a king. I apologize. I made a mistake. He wasn't the king. He was a tetrarch um, in Rome, which is a ruler over um, a division or four divisions, I believe. Listen, don't quote me on this stuff. I, according to Google, it says the governor of one or four divisions of a country or province, okay? So that's just what we're going to go with. Um, it's awful. It sucks. And it happens, right? We don't know really what happened to the daughter of Herodias after this affair. But it's very sinister that, you know, because of her mother and the lust of Herod, she was just thrown into this trauma, thrown into a life that she didn't ask for, kind of similar to Hagar. You know, you're a bound woman, you're a servant, you're a slave, you know, you obey, that's your job. That's how you eat, you know, it's your, your livelihood. And for a child, it's not really any different. When your parents make provisions for you, and they give you instructions, you know, a lot of the times it's your life, which depends on it. So let's examine this. John the Baptist told Herod he could not have Herodias because she was his brother's wife. And according to the law, it's not lawful. And a ruler must be lawful. A ruler must have clean hands um, without reproach. He must be blameless and stainless, right? Because that's the only way to be a good leader. So he wanted to put John the Baptist to death, but the people obviously would be wroth and would definitely turn their backs on him and he would lose favor. And, you know, in the game of power, that's something you definitely don't want. So he just locked John the Baptist up. But then his birthday came around and Herodias' daughter, which happens to be Herod's niece, which is just crazy to think about, honestly. It's like, it's it's your niece. You know, it's just, uh, honestly, this is just, it's still getting me because it's John the Baptist. I love John the Baptist. John the Baptist is extremely dear to my heart. Like, I just... I find him so precious. I want to name my first son John, but I know it's not going to happen. I know it's not going to happen because we're going to name our son after my husband, but maybe the second or the third. Okay. I love John. It's really hard for me to just come to terms with the fact that, wow, he had his head cut off or something that really didn't even have anything to do with him. So she dances. The young girl dances for Herod on his birthday. Now... That's profound, okay, because she really could have done a lot of things, right? She could have brought him a gift. She could have brought him a handmade birthday card or, um, I don't know, a blanket that she had woven together with the sheeps of her own flock. You know, she could have baked him some bread, but her mother 
instructed her very clearly to not just create something for Harad, but to utilize her sensual femininity. To utilize her sensuality and her beauty. To make him vulnerable. Now, of course, Harad, you know, it's not blameless in this for sure. But that moment he made that oath, he was vulnerable and he opened himself up for failure, for darkness. To say to someone before you've even heard their desires, tell me whatever you want and I'll deliver it to you. I swear to I swear to you this day. <laughs> I'll give you whatever it is that you seek. Just tell me what it is. Instant vulnerability. And the mother instructed her daughter to request the head of John the Baptist. You know, not not even just for John to be put to death, John to be, you know, drowned in the sea or to cast John away and ban him from the city or something. <laughs> For his head. For his head. She wanted the man's head. And the word says, and listen, she didn't even want the head to be cut off. She asked to see it. She wanted it on a, on a platter. She said, give me here John Baptist's head in a charger on a platter. Verse 9, and the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at the meat, he commanded it be given to her, because he made a promise. He made an oath before he heard the whole matter. And this is also something that the scripture warns us against, making promises before we have seen the whole picture, because you never know what you're signing up for. You never know what you're agreeing to. And this is why it's extremely important to read every single contract that you sign. Nevertheless, I know that's off topic. I know that's off topic, but I'm I'm very like anti just sign away. I don't like to just sign things. I don't care what it is. Anyways, back to our original points. How we know that this is the enemy sending this young girl. Well, first, let's look at the situation, right? We're starting in, um, you know, a thing that's already full of sin. There's lust, there's drunkenness, there's um, feastings and celebrations. And, you know, the scripture is clear that when there's drunkenness and there's celebrations, sometimes the result is violence and dissensions and lust that leads to adultery or other unclean acts um, of the sexual nature. And this shows us that when it is not the most high sending you, you're going to head even closer and deeper into that destruction instead of going the other way, right? Because when the most high sends you, it's towards something good and pleasing and perfect. And we must, again, ask ourselves, is what I'm about to do going to amount or produce something good and pleasing and perfect? Clearly the answer was no. 
And it's really unfortunate, again, that this was a daughter of some wealthy and powerful people who obviously were bloodthirsty, you know, really couldn't help themselves. She probably feared the both of them, you know, her mother and her uncle very much. And of course, she was a pawn in their game and she was sent by them to carry out this wicked deed. Now, how awful must it feel to know <laughs> that as a young girl, people are using you as a scapegoat for their murder and for their bloodthirstiness? The truth is that it happens. You know, we as women can be deceived or, you know, sometimes we're not deceived and yet still decide to carry out an evil act because of fear um, you know, whether that's fear of being murdered or being harmed or fear of losing support or resources, you know, fear of being homeless, whatever it is. But the most high promise is that we have nothing to fear. And when he is sending you, he protects you. He gives you his protection. And this situation right here really opened this young lady up um, to danger to not be protected, you know, because now who knows what can happen once the people find out it is her who ordered John the Baptist's head, you know? That's awful to think I was only following instructions and now the entire city wants me dead. This is why we as women and we as mothers need to make sure we're teaching our daughters who can be very susceptible vessels of all types of things to be very picky about that which they allow into their minds and that which they choose to agree with by believing it um, and facilitating it or abiding it by executing it or acting upon it because the result can be death, can, you know, be adultery and fornications um it can lead to poverty it can lead to a city being overtaken you know and again it's just very unfortunate like i reading this i feel for the daughter you know but it also really points to me it's a it's a very pointed um imagery that i'm seeing that she has the opportunity to say no I'm not going to ask for such a wicked thing, you know, and the scripture doesn't really specify how old she was. So maybe the comprehension was just simply not there, but that just means the Holy Spirit was not with her. And again, it's very unfortunate. We must make sure to keep the Holy Spirit with us so that that discernment is with us all of our days so that when we have a little, just a little bit of confusion about who's speaking to us, who's giving us these instructions, the Holy Spirit will make it very clear whether it's of the Most High or whether the Most High is nowhere near it and to redirect us. I know it's hard when you hear that, you know, and it's, it's mostly coming from worldly men or worldly men in the truth who say they're in the truth but they're really still worldly men i'm sorry i'm just gonna have to say it now sorry that 
women are wicked. Women are just innately wicked. You know, women are just the, the just we're just the demons of society, you know. And again, women aren't perfect. Men aren't perfect either. So when you hear these mantras and these dog whistles and these men who constantly attack your femininity or just the feminine essence that the Most High has given you, just ponder these things. Ponder this episode. Ponder the fact that, yes, women can be responsible behind some of the biggest um, catastrophes in history. You know, the downfall of Adam and Eve is because Hashatan sent Eve to deceive Adam. Yes, <laughs> women, we need to own up to this. We do. We are susceptible. We don't know how to say no. We can be easily fooled and we don't take the time to discern for ourselves. And sometimes we can be lacking accountability. Yes, own up to that. But also, don't be discouraged because the scripture makes it clear. This willingness to abide and this strong influential essence that you carry, this very soft power, this very potent soft power can be an asset in the kingdom if you let it, if you choose it, if you actively seek out opportunities to be that. And if you take the time to learn how to recognize those opportunities when they appear before you, it doesn't have to be detrimental. It doesn't have to be a tool of destruction. And, you know, I have seen women that I know personally who are older, um, I've watched them with their beauty throughout the years, you know, and, and I'm sure you have seen this or maybe have even experienced it personally. You know, beauty has been um, kind of like a currency for you because I think modern society really pushes women to use their youth and beauty as a currency um, of destruction, um, destruction of self, destruction of your status and destruction of homes and destruction of your opportunity to really experience the fullness of order, you know, marriage and family. Um, and I've seen women who abuse their beauty and use it to get what they want until the physical beauty begins to fade and they can no longer get what they want. And they're in, you know, a less than ideal situation where now they're not sure what to rely upon. And it frustrates me because, you know, I can clearly see and I have saw like, you know, you had that opportunity to do better. And we as a new generation um, and we as women who are raising a new generation, we have an obligation to teach that to our daughters that you're not going to look this way forever. People aren't going to listen to you. <laughs> forever. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to get the same likes forever. You know, beauty fades. That's what the scripture says. Beauty fades. It's just the truth of life. And the way that people treat you when you're beautiful, unfortunately, is not going to be the same way people treat you when they no longer think that you're beautiful. It doesn't mean that you're not beautiful, but you know, if people don't perceive you that way, 
obviously their actions are going to reflect it. And that's just the awful truth of being a woman. That's the awful reality. And we need to equip our daughters to um, be prepared for this truth by teaching them that charm is deceitful and beauty fades. But a woman that fears Yahuwah will be praised because that woman who fears him is going to be sent by him. She's going to be obedient in him. She's going to know that it's him. She's going to know that he's going to protect her. She's going to know that he's going to prepare her. And she's going to know that she has the strength and the means to carry this out without harm coming upon her head for the sake of the kingdom. And I really hope that you know, you will share this message with your daughters so that they can learn, you know, how to really stand up for themselves in this spiritual battle. Because there is really a dark battle on the minds of our young women, our young girls. And I have personally seen in my own marriage, when the enemy wants to attack my husband, he tries to come through me. I know that you can relate to this as well. And I've seen it happen in other sisters' lives too. When the enemy wanted to attack that man, he went through the woman because he knows that woman has the type of influence on that man that nobody else has. And it's the same for society at large. Women can affect the culture and politics and all areas of life in a way that men simply cannot. And this is the power of being a woman and we must take full accountability for it so that it is not falling into the hands of the enemy. Because again, we are vessels. It is the truth. That is the nature of our composition. And we must make sure to guard the gates of our portal so that nothing can come in or go out without it being given or sent by the Most High, Yahuwah. I'm going to read from the book of Sirach, a.k.a. Ecclesiasticus, chapter 26, where we find the faithful wife, the glorious wife. And I'm going to start at verse 15. A modest wife is a supreme blessing. No scales can weigh the worth of her chastity. The sun rising in the Lord's heavens. That's the beauty of a good wife in her well-ordered home. The light which shines above the holy lampstand. That's a beautiful face on a stately figure. Golden columns on silver bases. So are her shapely legs and her steady feet. This is an extremely powerful and very sensual and dynamic and divine illustration of the potential of the woman when her steps are ordered by Yahuwah. First of all, it says she's a supreme blessing. We know that blessings come only from above. All good things, all good gifts come from our father who reigns above. The scripture says no scales can weigh the worth of her chastity. <laughs> Proverbs 31 says worth more than rubies, worth more than gold. 
The wealth just cannot be measured. Greater than the wealth of King Solomon. It cannot be measured. It's completely invaluable. It's priceless. A virtuous wife who can find for her price is greater than rubies. Verse 16 says, the sun rising in the Lord's heavens. That's the beauty of a good wife in her well-ordered home. That is her beauty. When she is a woman who carries out order and discretion and discernment and wisdom and gentleness, because gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. Okay, I'm, I'm looking at y'all sisters. I'm sorry, I knew gentleness in her home. That woman is like the sun rising. Do you know how beautiful you are just because you choose order and gentleness and wisdom in your home? You're literally like the sun rising. This scripture is literally comparing your house to heaven and saying you're the sun in it. You bring the light. You bring the glory. You give the illumination, girl. You're giving the vitamin D, okay? You're giving food, okay? It's giving life. It's giving. Verse 17 says, the light which shines above the holy lampstand. That's a beautiful face on a stately figure. You, your countenance, when you smile, your femininity, you know, when you take good care of yourself, when you share that gentleness, share that soft feminine touch, hug your family, kiss your husband, you know, be gentle. Don't resist that feminine urge to nurture. It says, your femininity is like the light that shines above the holy lampstand. Wow. Absolutely wow. And verse 18 follows up by saying, golden columns on silver bases. So her shapely legs and steady feet. It says your legs are like golden columns. And your feet are the silver bases. I want you to just try to picture in your mind an entity that has feet that are made of silver and legs that are gold. Imagine what type of value that entity carries. What type of divine purpose the Most High has given to that creature to be made of such precious <laughs> metals. I wonder what's in the core. If that's just her legs and her feet, what's in her womb? What's behind her ribs? What's in her head? If this is just the bottom half, really think about that. And remember that when people tell you that the Bible um, has reduced women to motherhood and um, being a wife and being a slave and being a servant and being the spoils of war and, you know, just being oppressed. Remember this. Remember this. Don't forget this. When we fully walk in the wisdom of the Most High, we are worth more than anything. Our value and our beauty cannot be compared to anything else in existence.
And I'm so sorry. I would never want to be a man. <laughs> I would never want to be a man. Why would I want to be a man? You know, we got to wake up. We got to enjoy, embrace, and really truly come into the full understanding of what it means to be the bride of Yahuwah, because he says, you are like the light which shines above the holy lamp stand. We are literally what gives light in the firmament. We are the light. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Don't be discouraged. And also, don't be deceived just because this is a great gift. Have balance, have discernment, and know whom it is who's sending you. Because when the Most High wants to get something done, he's going to send a woman. And when the enemy wants to get something done, he's going to send a woman. And you have to choose ye this day whom ye mm -hmm. shall serve. But as for me and my house, okay, we're going to serve Yahuwah. And I hope that's who you choose to serve as well. That is all for today's episode of Watered Womanhood. I hope you've been watered. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider making a small contribution towards the sustainability and production of the only biblical femininity podcast for Israelite women. $1, $5, whatever y'all puts on your heart, all donations make a difference. And you can use the link in the description to get started. Be sure to follow, favorite, and leave a review wherever you're listening to make this podcast even more visible to other Israelites. Remember that you can stay up to date and join us for some interesting dialogues at thehebrewhousewife.com. And go ahead and join my newsletter for some members-only perks. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. And be ye thankful. Colossians chapter 3 verse 15. Until next time, Shabbat Shalomah.